Oh, well, welcome. First of all, let's be chipper. It's Eric Erickson here. You can call in and save me for what I'm about to have to do. 877-973-7425. We're a new stock show. Now, what's the difference between talk and new stock? Talk is, I would never even have to tell you what the headlines are. We could just do a recipe share. I am totally down for that. But I kind of like news talk. If there's breaking news, if there's big news, if there's important news, I feel obligated to make you the most informed person on your city block or in front of your water cooler or wherever you are. You should be able to outsmart everybody and know the news before others do. So unfortunately, that sometimes means I have to talk about stories that I would prefer not to talk about. And one of those stories actually affects and impacts a massive number of you because you are in the Southern Baptist Convention. I grew up Southern Baptist. Uh, My wife's family and my family are still all Baptists. We go to a PCA church, Presbyterian Church in America. We put the fundamentalism uh, I mean, we, we are awesome. We, we throw water at each other in church for baptism instead of drowning kids. Um, but one day we hope to drown our kids. They're annoying anyway. Um, but I mean, we'll pull them back up after they like had to come to Jesus moment under the water. And, but nonetheless, I digress. Southern Baptists have, um, they've been going through an investigation related to sexual abuse. And it's stomach churning. Now, um, I, I want to comment first on how you want to destroy a good, incredible organization, uh, introduce sex abuse as as one of the the grand sins committed among the 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 people in charge, the Boy Scouts of America, the Catholic Church, uh, the the Mormons. Well, also the Southern Baptists. And we're, we're finding out the extent of it. Now, I have to pause here for just a moment um, because Andrew is running the board today. He's got George here with him, and Andrew's just his beard. So I get to screw things up now, and you won't know what's going on now that Andrew's out of the room. <laughs> I was just about to cause chaos since you left the room, and now suddenly he steps back in. Never mind. Now i got to go back to talking about the Baptists because Andrew showed back up, and I can't screw stuff up. So, you know, you all know who Russell Moore is. I assume you know who Russell Moore is. He was the head of the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he um, left. He was not a Trump supporter in 2016 like me. He remained fairly critical of Trump even as I came to terms with it. And when he left uh, the head of the ERLC, a lot of people said, ah he was too nasty to the conservatives. He was too nasty to people who like Trump, and he's gone. He wasn't MAGA enough. Even the media said, oh, well, he's left because he wasn't MAGA enough. Well, a letter leaked out that he had written to some people. He says, I, I'm not leaving because I wasn't it wasn't sufficiently loyal to Trump or was rude to Trump supporters. I'm leaving because the moment I started talking about sex abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention, they were out to get me, and I'm tired of the fight. And people, oh, he's just trying to spin it. Nope. Actually, it turns out with the release of this report from Guidepost, an investigation firm that was hired 
and paid millions to root out allegations of sexual misconduct in the Southern Baptist Convention. It turns out Russell Russell Moore was pushed out because he was exposing the sexual abuse within the SBC. J.D. Greer, who had been president of the SBC himself, had done it and ran afoul of his own lawyers at the Southern Baptist Convention. And I got to say something here that's not comfortable to say. This report found instances of abuse involving people I know. And I didn't know. Let me read you a sample curated by Christianity Today. Mike Stone, the former chair of the Southern Baptist Executive Committee. He's from Georgia. He's a pastor here in Georgia. And a candidate in 2021 for the Southern Baptist Convention president. Helped craft an apology for a pastor friend of his after the pastor was found to have been exchanging explicit text messages with a member of his congregation in 2019. Augie Botto, a lawyer for the Southern Baptist Convention, testified as a character witness for Nashville gymnastics coach Mark Scheffelbin, who was convicted in 2003 of molesting a 10-year-old girl. Jack Graham, Southern Baptist Commission president from 2002 to 2004 didn't report a music minister who was fired in 1989 after Preston Wood Baptist Church in Texas learned he molested a child. The minister went on to another church and was convicted for his crimes at Preston Wood more than 20 years later. The church categorically denies the way the report characterizes the incident 33 years ago. Current executive pastor Mike Buster said in a statement, Preston Wood has never protected or supported abusers in 1989 or since, he says. Steve Gaines, SBC president from 2016 to 2018, knew that a minister on staff at his church, Bellevue Baptist, which is down the road from my sister's house, has previously abused a child but didn't disclose it until it came up in a blog. Frank Page, the president of the executive committee, resigned suddenly in March of 2018. An official statement said the resignation was due to a morally inappropriate relationship. The executive committee did not investigate whether or not it was consensual, nor did they look into if his character carries over into the workplace. Johnny Hunt, the Southern Baptist Commission president from 2008 to 2010, groped and kissed the wife of a youth pastor a month after his presidential term ended and told the couple to keep it secret. Hunt retired from First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, where I have a lot of friends. His sexual assault had not been previously reported. The woman and her husband, an SBC pastor, came forward during the investigation to share with Guidepost what happened. Hunt, the former pastor of First Baptist Woodstock, had been a senior vice president at the Southern Baptist Convention's North American Mission Board before resigning May 13th of this year. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary has a chair position named after him. By the couple's account, they were 24 years younger than Hunt in 2010. He offered to assist them with their ministry. At one point, he arranged a place for the wife to stay during a visit to Panama City Beach where Hunt was spending his sabbatical. 
He then entered the condo unit where the woman was alone and sexually assaulted her, pulling down her clothes, pinning her on the couch, groping her, and kissing her. What's worse is that the Southern Baptist Commission's members demanded that the SBC Executive Committee keep a list of pastors and leaders within the denomination charged with sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual harassment, and they refused to do it. They were worried about it looking to courts like the SBC had some say over the hiring and firing practices of local churches, even though they don't. But with the help of spokesman and vice president Roger Singh Oldham and an unnamed staff member, they kept the list they said they did not keep. They kept it. They denied it. They, they, they wouldn't make it public, but they had all the names. At the lawyer's request, the report said the staffer collected news clippings and tracked abusive pastors in a table with name, year, staff, and denomination. The first version in 2007 included 66 people arrested or sued over abuse. By 2022, the list grew to include 703, 409 of them believed to belong to Baptist churches. The men in charge were more worried about governance and litigation and liability than about the victims. In fact, they organized a campaign to silence, shame, smear, and attack the victims. Executive Committee attorneys criticized then-Southern Baptist Commission President J.D. Greer for repeating the names of 10 churches that had been reported in a Houston Chronicle investigation about churches that employ abusive pastors. J.D. Greer asked an executive committee subcommittee to look into them. The lawyer for the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention said they were going to be sued for libel and worked to clear the church's names. Another lawyer actually called the churches and apologized after the SBC president named them. This is disturbing. The Southern Baptist Commission or Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States of America. Millions of people belong to it. We're only talking about four to 500 abusive pastors out of millions of people that we know of out of 44,000 congregations. You're talking about 406 so it's not large, but it's bigger than them because leaders within the church sought to cover it up, sought to hide it, sought to deny it, sought to make the victims the accusers, pushed out good people who were calling light to it. You know, their lawyers had to quit because the executive commission or executive committee finally stood up and said, you know what, we got to uncover this. We waive attorney client privilege. We want it all exposed. And in the attorney client revealed letters in the investigation, it turns out the lawyers were part of the cover up. This is bad. But you know what? It's also good. It's good that we know these things. 
We see now why so many people fought tooth and nail to stay in power. We see why they were trying to make it about Donald Trump and loyalty to the president because it was never about that. They just thought that was the way to stay in power so they could continue the cover-up. And now it's been exposed, and now there's been sunlight. And that's good. It's painful. My heart breaks for my friends at First Baptist Woodstock, Georgia. None of them knew. They had no reason to suspect. They had no idea that their former pastor did what he did, or at least is accused of doing what he did. He's not going to be tried. There will be no guilt. The question is, do you believe his denials, or do you believe the report, the investigation, and the witnesses? But it's still painful. But it's necessary. And it's necessary for me to talk about it here because it is one of the biggest stories of the day, of the biggest Protestant denomination in the nation. And to the extent that the media is going to cover it, they will cover it the way they've covered the Catholic Church and treat it as discrediting on the entire body and not put in perspective. We're talking about a few hundred people out of a few million. We're talking about a few hundred people out of tens of thousands of churches. It's not as big a problem as some will play it up, but it's far bigger than others want you to believe. But sunlight is the best disinfectant. And the truth can help this denomination move forward. They've had some really nasty, nasty political fights over the last couple of years, and they were all packaged as fights about loyalty to Donald Trump or being conservative or insufficiently conservative. Ironically, one of the biggest controversies in the church over the last couple of years are the number of churches who have put women into leadership positions. And the SBC has wanted to push those churches out of the SBC. And ironically, the loudest voices in charge of wanting to push the churches out are the ones who are the biggest engaged in the cover-up of sexual abuse. They've discredited themselves. And the way to gain the credit back, the way to rebuild, the way to gain trust, the gospel way to do it is to shed light on the sin and repent. And hopefully all of them will. And you should show them grace if you're a believer. If you're angry and upset, show grace. But also repent. Your sins will find you out. And they have terabytes of data thousands of pages of reporting and witness testimony comes down to the leaders in this organization were engaged in a cover-up and they systematically essentially had their own deep state when reformers would come in as president of the SBC, work against them to keep the cover-up covered up. And now the covers are off. We can see it all for ourselves and now they can heal. Well, Madison Cawthorn, there's a house of us. He just lost. Leave the kid alone now. He is a kid. They're doing an ethics investigation. Apparently, um, they're investigating whether or not he had a financial interest in the cryptocurrency that he uh, was pushing and whether or not he had an inappropriate relationship with a staffer. Interesting. Um... They really didn't like it when he talked about the cocaine and orgies, did they? No, no. Listen, that that's a that's a trite line, and everybody showed that. Oh man, they're only out to get him because of the cocaine and orgies. If there were really cocaine and orgies, dude has nothing to lose now. So come on out and 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 talk about it. But he's not. Honestly, 
I the way he talked, a, a buddy of mine pointed this out to me. The the, the way he talked and, and and phrases he used sounded like someone who knew his way around um, cocaine, if not orgies. I I have no idea, but um, I don't know. Uh, the the I, I wouldn't build in a conspiracy theory here. The guy was thrown out by voters in North Carolina, not by people in Washington D.C. He was terrible at constituent service. He was the guy who came into office and said he wasn't going to hire uh, policy staff. He was going to hire a comm shop. He wanted to own the libs. Well, you know, to be a congressman, you know, I used to, when I was in college, I did work for the late Paul Coverdale. He was U.S. senator. And I worked in his making office uh, as kind of an internship uh, in my political science department, did an internship, got college credit for it, didn't get paid for it. That man subscribed to every newspaper, like county newspaper in the state of Georgia. And my job was to go through those newspapers as they came in and do clippings of any kid that won a 4-H prize, anybody who got a high school prize, all the valedictorians and the salutatorians, and compile the list of what county they're in. And then someone else would find their addresses, and they could all get letters in the mail congratulating them on their 4-H win, on their FFA win, on their valedictorian status, on their 60th anniversary wedding. I mean, it was brilliant constituent service. You're staying on top of these people's lives. It's like my senator is paying attention to me. Gawthor didn't do any of that. He wanted to own the libs. You could get him on Instagram or Twitter, and that was about it. You literally, if you needed help getting your social security check, you had to call some other congressman's office because he didn't have constituent services. That's bizarre. I mean, the way you win re-election in Congress, like Sanford Bishop is a congressman in South Georgia. He's in a district that is trending Republican. He's a black congressman from South Georgia, and the white folks in South Georgia love him. They're conservative Republicans, and he's a liberal Democrat, and they love him because he is at every event. Every farmer knows him. Every farm in South Georgia has benefited from his office. They all have his cell phone. They can call him. He's one of the most accessible members of Congress, represents 700,000 people, and probably 500,000 of them have his cell phone. And the man keeps winning re-election because of constituent services. It's how you win re-election. Washington cannot beat you when your constituents know you. And none of Madison Cawthorn's constituents knew him. And so he lost. When we come back, we'll take your phone calls, 877-973-7425. Make my call screener work for a little bit. But also, we'll talk about the elections. Tomorrow is the SEC primary, Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia. They're all going to the polls. I'll give you the latest polling and where we're headed from here. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. It's my show, if you haven't figured that out by now. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Mitch, I'm taking your phone call. Welcome. Thank you so much for taking my call, Eric. Sure. So uh, I was listening to your uh, piece a few minutes ago with the Southern Baptist story. Um, So my thoughts are like culpability like just being associated, I understand what you're saying, the small number of people, but when you're talking about the things that they're being accused of, one person would be too much for me personally to want to be culpable, meaning still associate myself with a group of people that 
knew about these sorts of things and basically, like you said, covered up, tried to hide, deny, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But so, yeah, where does the culpability fall into these people that did not do anything wrong? And I totally understand that. But heard rumblings of things that were going on and did nothing about it. Well, you know, that's one of the most staggering aspects of this report is that so the Southern Baptist Convention has an executive committee. That executive committee is a lot of people from around the country that kind of provide regular oversight for day-to-day functions. And the head of the executive committee is arguably more powerful than the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, who kind of charts a vision but then doesn't do a whole lot. Uh, And it turns out that a ton of the people on that executive committee were absolutely cut out of the picture, had no knowledge, were never informed. It was the lawyers and the chairman who had all the knowledge. Now, a number of those people have resigned, retired, or otherwise quit. And I think they're going to have to be looked at. Now, the Southern Baptist Convention comes up in Anaheim, California this summer. I know a number of people who are going to be going to it. And we're going to have to, they're going to have to, not me, I'm not a Southern Baptist anymore. They're going to have to dive into this and see who knew what, when, and and what the repercussions are. Because there is a liability issue here as well. If you have all of this knowledge, even though you are arranged as an entity where you're very autonomous, uh, your knowledge causes ramifications, and that's got to be dealt with. Now, I, I got I to gotta discuss a phenomenon real quick that's happening that we're not going to get into. Uh, we've had a number of people call who want to give their reports of things they've witnessed or seen within that denomination. We're not going to go there. We're not going to gossip. Um, and we, we can't verify it, and I don't want to get into a he said, she said, or someone can't defend themselves, so I appreciate people wanting to step up and chime in, and I know you're not meaning to gossip about this stuff. You're concerned citizens, but at the same time, it's it's not my place to do that. I'm, I'm, you can read the report for yourself, and you can dive into it. You can uh, read the news reports of what's there, but I don't want to get into a he said, she said, let me tell you what I saw sort of thing. I don't think it's appropriate. I want to move on to the campaigns because there are big ones in Georgia, Alabama, and Arkansas. Uh, Mo Brooks, who was endorsed by Donald Trump in Alabama, kind of crashed and burned and has been resuscitated and now may finish first in the Alabama primary and get into a runoff. Uh, Kay Ivey, the Republican governor of Alabama, is cruising towards a reelection. Uh, one of the ones that I'm actually interested in is in Arizona. You got Sarah Sanders, Governor Mike Huckabee's daughter, is on the ballot there. And I haven't seen a ton of polling out of Arizona, but it appears actually that uh, she's done a, a pretty good job of, of rebounding. In the Alabama gubernatorial race, uh, Kay Ivey is at 48%. And uh, in the Senate race, uh, you got Britt at 31 and Brooks at 29. Now, Britt will be terrible. You need to know. This is who Donald Trump moved to after leaving Mo Brooks. Um, The problem with Britt is that she is a Chamber of Commerce, big government spending Republican. And so the lobbyists will get great customer service and probably no one else will. And that's kind of my problem there. Um, But that being said, it's interesting to watch Mo Brooks rebound all of a sudden in that race. 
Now, the race that the entire nation is going to be looking at, though, is Georgia. Brian Kemp. Tonight, Mike Pence will be in Cobb County, Georgia, the Cobb County Airport. And I'm going to go hang out with my friends at Priority Jet. Hi to them. Uh, one day, I hope to afford them again. Uh, and uh, I'm going to go hang out with them, and then I'm going to emcee the event at the Cobb County Airport. He will be in person for Brian Kemp, and Donald Trump will be on the phone for David Perdue. David Perdue wants to get into a runoff with Kemp. He's convinced that he can beat Kemp in a runoff. All of the polling has Kemp uh, pretty high up. In fact, most polls have him over 60%. Um, Matt Towery, who runs Insider Advantage, has his latest poll has Kemp somewhere around uh, 52%. Uh, yeah, the Insider Advantage Fox 5 poll has uh, Purdue at 38, Kemp at 52 uh, Landmark Communications has Kemp at 60, Purdue at 30. That's somewhere around most of the internal polling in that race, which I find fascinating. The actual um, Georgia governor Republican primary, the Real Clear Politics polling average, has Kemp up 25 points. Kemp 57, Purdue 32, Candace Taylor at 5, uh, Catherine Davis at 1. Let me just give you the roundup of latest polling. Um, Fox 5 Insider Advantage has Kemp at 52. Landmark Communications has Kemp at 60. Fox News has Kemp at 60. WXIA-TV has Kemp at 56. The AJC back in April had Kemp at 53. I suspect they'll have more polling coming soon. Uh, now, this is, this is the big deal, but first got to pause and jump out and talk about Candace Taylor for a minute. She's the cray-cray lady. God help her, she's a school counselor. Over the weekend, this woman actually said that she would kill sheriffs by firing squad. Um, oh, to say that I am um, making this up. I wish I was. Let me read you the quote. Uh, she would execute sheriffs by, well, you know what? Here's the audio. I can play you the audio. You can hear her in her own words. If we can get this rolling. Death by firing squad for sheriff's deputies out there. Uh, you think I'm making that up? Here is her precise quote. Uh, this is Ron Filipkowski, who is uh, a MSNBC reporter, so he is very much on the left. He likes to make Republicans look bad, but he doesn't have to make her look bad. He just gives her own words. She'll execute sheriffs by firing squad if they, quote, don't do the will of the people. I don't mind handcuffing them either. The Constitution says when you commit treason, it's death by Prime? firing squad. That's not going to happen either. We're not making backroom deals with sheriffs. They're the highest constitutional officer in their county. And they're going to do the will of the people. I don't mind handcuffing them either. So, I mean it. I've heard it from sheriff corruption all over the state. We've got some awesome sheriffs, and praise the Lord for them. Pray for them. Even if you have a corrupt one, pray for them. And pray that they're replaced really quickly if they're corrupt. But I don't care. I don't mind handcuffing any single person who, does, who breaks the law and goes against our government. The Constitution says... When you commit treason, it's death by firing squad. I didn't write it. 
It's in there. It's serious. When you swear to God to uphold a document that says you'll do the will of the people and you will honor every single thing in that Constitution, you do that. If you can't do that, then you better understand that you get death by firing squad. Um, wow. I mean, y'all, I got a face for radio and a voice for print. And I think I would rather listen to my voice than listen to that voice. I mean, someone please stab my eardrums out with nails uh, so that I don't have to. Holy cow. I'm telling y'all, we're going to kill the sheriffs. We're going to kill the sheriffs. They're going to get the firing squad. If they don't follow my constitution, if they don't do our work, we're gonna we're gonna use the firing squad of the it's in the constitution. They wrote it in the constitution. They put the firing squad in the constitution. Note to America, it is not in the constitution. I guess if you're illiterate, you can find it in the constitution, but it's not really in the constitution that you um actually will automatically get firing squad um in fact it says treason against the united states shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies giving them aid and comfort no person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses so you will note uh that treason is only consists of levying war against the united states or giving the enemies aid and comfort. Uh, not following the Constitution. I know this will surprise some of you, including a candidate for governor who works in a school system. Um, but it is um, not following the Constitution is not considered treason, according to ah, the Constitution. Now, there is also a statute, a statute... 18 U.S.C. Section 2381. Whoever, owing allegiance to the United States, levies war against the United States or adheres to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort within the United States or elsewhere, is guilty of treason and shall suffer death or be imprisoned for not less than five years and fined not less than $10,000 and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. It is a statute within the U.S. Code that says they shall suffer death or imprisonment and fine. It is not within the Constitution. Okay, so question. Should we elect someone who says things are in the Constitution that aren't there? Should we elect someone... Notice my call screener has turned off the phones now because he understands that when you talk about this particular candidate, the bat poop crazy begins to call in. But, but, should we elect someone who says something is in the Constitution when it's not in the Constitution? I play you Mama Shrill one more time. Perhaps if the Wi-Fi works. That's not going to happen either. We're not making backroom deals with sheriffs. They're the highest constitutional officer in their county, and they're going to do the will of the people. I don't mind handcuffing them either. So, I mean it. I've heard it from sheriff corruption all over the state. 
We've got some awesome sheriffs and praise the Lord for them. Pray for them. Even if you have a corrupt one, pray for them. And pray that they're replaced really quickly if they're corrupt. But I don't care. I don't mind handcuffing any single person who does who breaks the law and goes against our government. The Constitution says when you commit treason, it's death by firing squad. I didn't write it. It's in there. It's serious. When you swear to God to uphold a document that says you'll do the will of the people and you will honor every single thing in that Constitution, you do that. And your little dog, too. <laughs> okay, okay. If it's in the Constitution, but it's not. Firing squad is in the Constitution, she says. Should we elect candidates who say things are in the Constitution that are not there? You say yes. You're supporting Candace Taylor. Okay. Now do abortion. <laughs> Walked right into that one, didn't you? You should probably clear the air with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm now. What a perfect segue. Clear the air out. You can get three of them for less than $200. You can get them. You're saving $200 as well. And they don't just clear the air like they eliminate odors. So I made fantastic quesadillas yesterday. But I was also like like making the taco meat on the stove, and I could run the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, and it wiped out the odors. Didn't mask them. It's not essential oils. It actually works. Now, you can get three of them for less than $200. Save $200. You get three of them, and they also get rid of the pollen, the mildew, the mold in the air. You go to EdenPureDeals.com. You put Eric3, E-R-I-C-K-3, in the discount code box, and you will save $200. You get three of them for less than $200. The website is EdenPureDeals.com. Well, my email from Grammarly tells me I'm building a hefty vocabulary. Oh, yes, I am. It's part of being a dad with teenage kids. The things you learn. Can I can I tell you all something just, just terribly awful? Um, maybe I shouldn't, but I'm just actually so proud of my kid for coming up with a joke on its own. On its, should I? Can I? Uh, I? I might as well. So my kid, he, he's 13 and he's developing a sense of humor and he has a, shall I say, dark sense of humor. I personally find it hysterical. He actually told his Bible teacher one day, he says, do you know the difference between a, uh, a um, what is it, a, a morbid joke and a demented joke? A morbid joke is finding 10 dead babies in a garage. A demented joke is finding one dead baby in 10 garages. That That's 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 my 13-year-old. So he comes home and he says, Dad, do you know what Stephen Hawkins' last words were? No, son. I don't know what Stephen Hawkins' last words were. Well, according to my 13-year-old, Stephen Hawkins' last words were the windows shut down sound. Yeah. Um, that that was my that's my 13-year-old. Kind of proud of him, but I'm also a little bit nervous about this. <laughs> He's been watching comedians. He wants to watch Dave Chappelle. I was like, son, you can't watch Dave Chappelle. You're not allowed. We have it blocked. His age can't get on the TV.
nonetheless. That's right, the window shutdown sound. You know, you can tell a joke that all of your friends will roll their eyes at and groan. Before I get out of here, I got to go full circle. Biden and his team and the disaster that awaits them. They think that Roe v. Wade, if it is overturned, and that decision may come tomorrow, by the way. Um, we don't know, but they're going to release more opinions tomorrow. And now is about the time, based on when it was argued that they would do so. Um, he, Biden and the Democrats think that's going to reset things for them. I'm not sure why, and here's why. Remember the National School Board Association letter that they drafted to the Department of Justice and they wanted parents looked at as domestic terrorists for showing up at school board meetings upset about lockdowns and mask mandates and critical race theory? Well, uh, Corey DeAngelis, who runs one of the big uh, school choice networks, he's the National Director of Research for School Choice Now and an adjunct scholar at Cato Institute, they have obtained the original draft from the National School Board Association. You want the ending paragraph? Let me read it to you. We ask that the Army National Guard and its military police be deployed to certain school districts and related events where students and school personnel have been subject to acts and threats of violence. The National School Board Association wanted the National Guard sent to school districts where parents were showing up at school board meetings to complain about masks and critical theory. That's insanity. That's insane. And I think that parents are locking in their contempt for the Democratic Party right now to such an extent that there is not going to be any recoverability for the Biden administration. Uh, no one cares about the Dobbs case because very few people know anyone who wants an abortion anyway. But a lot of people know a lot of families struggling for baby formula and struggling with school systems that are trying to indoctrinate their kids on race and sex issues. It's going to be bad.